Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode number 457 for January 28th, 2016. On this episode, pianist Roman Collin. From his new album, Press Enter, on ACT Music, here's 99. My guest is Roman Collin. His new album is called Press Enter. It's on the ACT label. And uh, man, I got to say, I totally loved your last record. And this record, no different. I just, from the first note, I was kind of in love with it and this trio again. And it's really great to have you back uh, here on the show. Thanks for being here, man. Oh, thanks so much, Jason. Thanks for having me back. Uh, the the last album was, or the, the album for Palmetto uh, was kind of the the announcement of this trio it was it was saying we're here and uh, the trio i think sounds if anything uh even more established now will you tell folks who's in this band oh sure yeah um so we have kendrick scott on drums and lucas curtis uh, on bass and uh i will i'll just refer folks if they want to hear a ton about how those you guys came together they can listen to your last interview on the jazz session we don't need to to retread all that ground but i i do want to ask uh, i mean it's been four years since the last time you and i spoke um i think our last interview was in was in 2012 and uh it's going to be 2016 by the time this thing sees the light of day and i'm imagining you've covered a lot of ground in those days and yet you still come back to these two guys uh, for the recording why is that yeah um you know, it's interesting because when we uh, got in the studio to make the calling, I just really wasn't sure how the music was, was going to turn out. You know, I was as much of uh, the creator of the music as I was the the uh, an audience member in a sense. Um, it was just uncharted territory for me, and I wasn't sure how it was all going to pan out. Um, 
so it came together great and it gave me a time to reflect on uh, how that album um, uh, came out and um, after that we got a chance to you know play uh, play out and also it's true that you know you do have those instances when uh, you are booked for a show and one of the uh, one of the original band members can't make it to the show so um, so you know you you call in um, somebody to fill in and and it's always very enriching because it gives uh, the music an opportunity to um, um, to be tackled from a slightly different uh, angle aesthetically or um, um, <clears throat> stylistically um, but I, I felt really good about where the trio was uh, was going and um, and so I felt pretty strongly about keeping both Kendrick and Lucas um, for that second uh, recording session um, or that third album, uh, if, you, if you may say so. Um, so yeah, it was it was just really exciting for me to be um, um, to be exploring more music with the same group, knowing that they understood and I understood much better what the um, what the um, uh, sort of aesthetic take on the music I was trying to make was so. It was even much easier than if it was when we first made uh, the calling. Uh, making press center was a much more, I'd say, intuitive process where I would bring the music in, and both Lucas and Kendrick sort of knew which um, which space to fill and and how to make the music speak and breathe, etc. So, uh, will you tell the story behind the title of this album, Press Enter? Because it's a great story, and I think people should hear it. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I was. Um, I studied at the Thelonious Monk Institute of Jazz um, back in Los Angeles, 2005-2007, um, um, and um, as part of the program, we got a chance to um, to travel, tour, and perform um, in Vietnam and India for several weeks uh, with both Herbie Hancock and Wayne Schroeder. Yeah, Herbie is the is the chairman of the Monk Institute and. Um, and uh, and Wayne is part of the board, and and so it was a, a real uh, fantastic experience, not only just musically because we got to play with those guys, but but also on a personal level because we got we got to really hang out and go sightseeing, go see the Taj Mahal or whatever, do this and that, and it was a real um, special um, and unique experience in that regard. You know, we just all have breakfast or brunch or whatever in the same hotel and um, and hang out, and we got to talk about a bunch of bunch of stuff and and um i love speaking with wayne because he always um has um intriguing interesting uh ways of of um uh, talking about some of his um experiences as both a human being and, and an artist and um he seems like kind of a like a, a buddhist master in the jazz world or something i mean he's like you hardly ever hear him interviewed you hardly ever hear him speak and then whenever he does it's always so worth listening to absolutely he's um a man of few words for sure um but uh, such an interesting character and uh i you know somehow felt that you know we had a pretty good connection and so here and there we'll just sit down at an airport or whatever and, and start chatting for i don't know 20 minutes and just talk about a bunch of things and um and he was uh, reminiscing about his uh his days with weather report and how they were all basically rock stars with uh, traveling with three huge trucks going from city to city and um 
And um, and so yeah, we talked about all the uh, you know all all of his you know accomplishments and all the all the projects that he brought to fruition and um, and then and so he said he said well you know I've also been surrounded all my life by by people who have tons of ideas and plans but never really did anything about about that and um, and then then he paused and he looked at me and he just said uh, press enter. And I thought that was just the most hilarious and perfect wording for that concept, you know, um, which in and of itself, we all know, you know, it's the just do it thing. But but it's just the way it's the way he the way he put it, that that was very him and resonated very strongly. Certainly one of the most arresting moments on this record comes in Event Horizon. Will you describe that piece and uh, tell us how it came to be? Sure. Um, well, Event Horizon is a, is a piece that um, I wrote as sort of a tribute to uh, wrongfully uh, convicted uh, prisoners who um, in that case ended up being exonerated. Um, but as we all know, there are many uh, other men and women who aren't so lucky. And they um, were exonerated by the Innocence Project, right? That is correct. Uh, they were exonerated by the Innocence Project. So um, initially I wrote the music, it was purely instrumental. Um, and then I, um, I I went back to some of some interviews that the Innocence Project put online. Um, and it's basically testimonials from uh, those uh, exonerated um, um, you know, wrongfully convicted people who tell their uh, tales of, you know, of um, basically injustice and uh, suffering and courage and and so on. And um, th- that was that was sort of the, uh, the the main inspiration for the piece. And and I felt that somehow should I should uh, incorporate those part of you know quotes from those speeches and interviews into the music. And I wasn't really sure how to go on about this and. Um, Matt Pearson, who co-produced the record, um, suggested that I reach out to the Innocence Project and he said, you know, you should just go ahead and call them and ask for permission to, uh, you know, use some of those testimonials. And so I, I did so and I went ahead and um, 
and made sure uh, I had, you know, uh, permission from every single one of uh, the men who were uh, featured in the piece, and um, and that's how he, that's how he came about. And the title Event Horizon is, you know, as uh, as as you may know, the um, the outer perimeter of a of a black hole, um, after which nothing really escapes gravity, um, is called the Event Horizon. So that's basically an image for those men who were incarcerated and had no means to be heard or tell the truth um, for the longest time. Well, I, I applaud you for using some of the space on your record to tell a story like that, because uh, we, Jazz did at one point have a, a strong activist past, and uh, sometimes it, I think, needs to remember that. So um, I yeah, thank you not, for doing it's that. It's not over yet. I see, a, yeah, no, I see, yeah. I still see a, bunch, a bunch of my contemporaries who, uh, who use music as a medium to make certain you know, voices heard on a political level and stuff. And I think as artists, it's important um, if we have... We don't have a whole lot of power, but the little that we have, I think, can be used for the betterment of some of the uh, issues that we see in the world. So, well, Good for you. Uh, when we last spoke, uh, we talked about the idea of using the studio as an instrument, certainly on the calling. Uh, that was very prevalent, although the recording session itself was acoustic. You went in after the fact and uh, used the studio to add things to the recording. And I wonder, on Press Enter... Uh, did some of those same techniques uh, apply? Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, by the same um, token as, uh, you know, you're asking about me keeping the same band for the for press center, really that, that record is, uh, I see it as a continuity to, to the calling. So it was essentially the same creative process and the same, uh, this, yeah, the same process of, First, recording the band in the studio, and that's done acoustically, and then going to the, uh, you know, my setup at home, and uh, also uh, Jeremy Lucas's studio, who engineered the uh, the entire album, and you know, sculpting, shaping soundscapes that would then enhance what's already there with the trio. More from my interview with Roman Collin in a moment, but first, if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member. Your contribution of $5 a month helps me keep the hundreds of shows in the archive accessible and free for all. To become a member, visit thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks. And now back to my conversation with Roman Collin. 
it's been about four years, like I said, since we last spoke, and I have to believe that a lot has happened in your life since then. Uh, it's difficult to compress that into however much time there is, but can you give us kind of a, a thumbnail sketch of what these last few years have looked like for you musically? Sure. Um, well, there has been quite a little bit of touring with my band, which uh, which is you know, sort of uh, my, my main focus at this point. And uh, I am fortunate enough to be in a position where I don't um, I don't have to, to book uh, myself anymore. And so things are, are looking up and, you know, we're traveling more and more. And that's that's fantastic. I've also been doing quite a bit of film scoring, uh, more and more so. And, um, you know, uh, more recently, I uh, worked for mini documentaries for uh, uh, Malala and the Malala Fund. Um, which, Tell people who that is who might not know. Well, she is uh, basically the, the youngest uh, uh, Nobel Peace Prize laureate, uh, and she is an activist for, um, you know, the education of um, women around the world, um, you know, and so she has this foundation to promote um, the, uh, to help, to help build schools around the world for all women, um, to promote education for, for women around the world. So, so she just actually got a uh, she had a feature movie documentary that was just that just came out I think a couple of months ago uh, I think it's called He Named Me Malala and then alongside with that she launched a whole campaign um, that was I think that's that was called hashtag Stand with Malala and um, part of which she had, for which she had um, mini documentaries that um, I was fortunate enough to score and you know I wrote for it's all symphonic writing and. It was really interesting, and I was again very happy to be able to provide um, a little bit of a little bit of help in a very humble way, but um, for for a cause that's very worthy, you know. Was that a steep learning curve, the music scoring or uh, film scoring? I mean, or did you did you come to it already well versed? Um, I mean, I've done it for a few years now, and uh, interestingly enough, it's just work that keeps coming in um, in various forms and genres, which is um, kind of fascinating. Um, anything from comedies to sci-fi, um, uh, psychological thriller. I mean, um, jingles and all this. So it's kind of it's it's interesting. I mean, I th- it's come fairly naturally just because I. I love orchestral music and I love classical music and I've studied it and I keep playing it on the piano, but also listening to a lot of it. Um, so um, in, a, in a sense, I feel that it, it, it's come pretty naturally, but there's you know, a ton of room for growth and improvement as always. And I'm just uh, happy to, uh, to be working more. I look forward to uh, yeah, more projects. At the risk of a horrible cliche, I mean, your your own music strikes me as fairly cinematic. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's a huge departure from listening to Press Enter or The Calling to imagining any of that music being in a film. Right. I mean, a lot of people tend to say that. So um, it's it's interesting because I never actually meant for my music to sound cinematic. I just think uh, that's probably how I um, um, how I probably associate music and visual and visuals in a in a pretty um, instinctual manner so in that sense and that's probably why i had um uh, film scoring gigs in the first place because i mean i never pursued that aspect of my career necessarily so i think it's just my music that translates pretty automatically somehow
will you say more about the idea of pairing uh, music and visuals, uh, especially, I mean, in film scoring, it's, I think it's obvious, but uh, when you're working on your own music, music that's going to be performed without visuals or recorded without visuals, are, do you still see an image? Do you still have in your mind a picture of, of what the music is describing, however directly or indirectly? I do. I don't know if it's um, a direct process. Uh, I don't know if it's super explicit and totally laid out in my mind. I just think there are uh, images that are constantly present. It's almost more than writing music for images that are in my head. I, f- I think that I start feeling comfortable with the music that I create if it starts conveying sceneries and images and landscapes in my head. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So more than, more than the music being inspired by images, I feel like if when my music inspires imageries in my head, then I usually feel that I'm at a, at a good place. Um, it's strange, but that's just the way it works. I'm not sure. I feel like that's the way for me to make to make sure the music is telling a story as opposed to just being an arrangement of notes and sounds, if that makes any sense. And do you, over time, can those stories change? Can you play a piece of music and then a year later play it again and have a totally different feeling about what it represents to you? Not really, no. <laughs> that's not really how it works for me, at least. No, I feel like each piece probably crystallizes a certain emotion and a certain story that's um that's that is what it is sure do you ever do you ever describe those scenes or those those things you see in your own head to your band members about these pieces no i think i'm pretty shy about that i don't know why um it's such a strange thing i mean i feel vulnerable enough even playing my music uh sharing my i mean if the music comes from a, a totally authentic uh, place, then it feels very, um, I don't know, I feel very naked and vulnerable, even just trying new music out and performing it. Um, I just hope that the music itself um, s- speaks clearly enough and is powerful enough for even my musicians to jump on board and, and, uh, and make it come fully to life. Um, I, so I usually don't necessarily talk about the, uh, inspiration behind a piece. I mean, some of the inspiration, some of the stories is reflected in, um, the titles, but even that, I hope that the titles sort of give enough information that I wouldn't have to actually, um, explicitly talk about the stories, like when I'm on stage, for instance, you know? Sure. I remember talking uh, – well, I remember because I listened to our conversation before I talked to you this time. I remember that we talked last time about the idea of albums that kind of grab you from the first moment. And I had said at that time that The Calling was one of those for me, and Press Enter felt very much the same way. And I, there's something about your playing uh, – like it, even in the press materials for this album, it refers to this ostinato that runs through a lot of the record. There's just something about your playing that I think – almost forces the listener's attention not in a bad way but i mean that really it is not music that can easily be played in the background and i really appreciate that about it i feel like it forces me to engage which i which i really like and i wonder if there's anything about the way you use pulse and meter that maybe helps pull people into the music i don't even know if that's a question that can be answered but i i pose it to you and do Uh with it what you will um yeah, I mean, it is an interesting question, a good way, an interesting way to put it. That's not how I think about it. Um, I, 
I think that, that those ostinatos and that pulse that you are referring to are very much um, the uh, reflection of a certain sense of um, obsessive focus, in a way, I think. <laughs> um, and it, I, I, so it's my guess. I can't say it because I'm, I'm the one creating the music, so I have no idea how it's ever received by anyone. I mean, I can tell from how they verbally you know, express it, but I can't, I'm not in anybody's heart or mind. Um, but I think that perhaps that intensity in the focus is what commands the listener's attention, maybe. But I'll also say that um, by um, developing a sort of minimalist ostinato like this, you can create a like a micro universe that sort of is a uh, a, a spiral that gen gently pulls you in i think it's you know like that minimalist aspect of the music i think sort of creates a uh, a color and a mood that are pretty strong um even if you're not paying attention to them right away it just keeps coming back because of the nature of it um, so maybe that's part of it. But I, it's not something that I've ever really... Um, I just try to be engaged by my own music. <laughs> so, it's all I can say. That's the only way for me to know whether I like um, a piece of music that I write or not. It's whether it's, it moves me and whether or not I, I find it engaging. I always ask myself, well, would I listen to this piece of music? Would I buy it or would I listen to it? Uh, in other words, would I take the time and energy necessary to um to absorb this piece of music and if the answer is no then i see absolutely no reason why i should release it and expect anybody else to put in that time or energy if i wouldn't you know I really love that idea of micro universes. Uh, actually, from where I'm sitting, I can see a uh, two LP set of uh, a band called Africa Express that uh, is from Mali, and they did a, 
uh, version of Terry Riley's In C earlier this year mm-hmm. using all traditional Malian instruments. Mm-hmm. And I, listening to things like In C, even in a version as different as that one, it becomes incredibly clear that it is in fact possible to create an internally consistent and logical universe you know, over the course of one piece or one album. I don't know, I just I really love that imagery, the idea that that we, the listener, can step with you into this little world you've created for us. I mean, it almost feels like something out of Doctor Who, like, you, you know, you've built the vehicle <laughs> and we get to travel to this place that you make. I mean, I just I think that's a beautiful image. And I I really like the idea that that's that part of what we're doing is kind of taking your hand and taking a trip. I think that's that's that's, 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 that's yeah. I mean, it's really it's really well summarized. And that's that's really how I feel. And perhaps again, when you said that my music is cinematic, maybe that's where it first and foremost comes from. It's just that I feel like every piece. To me, for a piece to be really strong, it should be telling a story that is so compelling that you like open a door and visit a little world, and that's what you are bathing in. That's that's the world you're a part of for those five, seven minutes, whatever. Um, if it doesn't feel that way, then I feel like maybe the message, whatever that message happens to be, is not that strong. Um, well, you know, at least that's how I see it. Uh, will you tell me about Jean-Michel Pilk and uh, his <laughs> yeah. uh, his appearance? His appearance in the record, yeah. Um, so yeah, there are um, <clears throat> there's this piece uh, entitled "The Kids" on the album um, that has a uh, sort of a, a B section or a C section, or whatever. Um, that's again pretty um, minimalist and repetitive, and it's got those three um, notes that I whistled, and um, and they're just repeated over and over, and um, I originally <clears throat> whistled the notes myself. I'm such a bad whistler that I literally had to overdub the, the whistling about six or seven times to, <laughs> to even get to anything near something that resembled uh, a decent, you know, a decent take. But um, but then, and I thought that was fine, and I I, um, I played it back to uh, Matt Pearson, who uh, <laughs> who listened to it and said, man, you can't, you can't do this. And I said, what do you mean? It's just, just, it's just a whistle. It's fine. I mean, it's called The Kid. It's not that, you know, and he said, man, no, this is not up to standards. This is not the kind of record you're making. I said, <laughs> I said are you serious now? He said, yeah, you need a real whistler. I said, well, guess what? I just don't know any real whistlers around here. And, um, and, and, you know, Matt being Matt, he knows just about everybody in the business. And instantly he said, man, Jean-Michel Pilk, that's the guy. I said, really? He said, that's the guy. So there, you know, so sure enough, I, I find myself having to, having to call Jean-Michel, who is a monster on the piano, and invite me on my record not to play a note on the instrument, but to actually <laughs> whistle three notes repeatedly, <laughs> um, which he was very, very uh, gracious about. And he, uh, he actually um, uh, was totally cool about it and came over and recorded the thing and and even did some ad libs, and he can't really whistle. Indeed, I mean, he was he was really amazing. And he started like doing ad libs and and uh, whistling lines in between that I kept because they were great. So that's the story. <laughs> that's fabulous. Yeah. Ah, uh, that must have been a great phone call or email. <laughs> that was. Uh, I think it was an email, but I felt really, <laughs> I felt really uncomfortable at first, and very apologetic about it. But he again, he was super cool. So that was great.
what is coming up for you? I mean, I, I know this this album only recently came out, but uh, I feel like you're the kind of person who is who is always looking to the next horizon. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I was just writing um, some music all night last night um, for a new record um, because I would like to keep pushing those boundaries as much as I can. Uh, so that's one thing. I just want to put another record when the time comes. Um, and uh, just for now, you know, I'm really, really excited just playing the music of um, of that record live. It's, it's just been super fun. Um, if, um, you know, if I can... If I can do that with, you know, Kendrick and Lucas, it's great. And if not, sometimes there are also, you know, lucky coincidences or, uh, you know, I, we just played three nights at the Iridium and um, Clarence Mann was playing drums and it was really, really fun. Um, you know, brought a lot of soul and colors to the music. So that was, it's always, you know, that's always another way to explore your own music from a slightly different perspective. And, um, you know gives me more ideas uh, as a composer for the future and so um yeah and we'll just um play out you know to um to play this uh, the music from press center which is always a ton of fun and um we played you know we were on the road for about five weeks in europe and then uh, came back to the states did a bunch of shows um and uh, we're about to get back to uh to europe mid-february so um um, so yeah, so that's that's what it is for now. Probably more film scoring. Um, can't say much more than that right now, but that's what's in the works. Ooh, now come on. See, those are the things that any good interviewer always wants to know about. Now I won't pressure you because you just said that. <laughs> I can't say much more about that. He said mysteriously. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Huh? We'll uh, see what pans out. Yeah. Nice. Okay, I see how it is. Uh, my guest is Roman Collin. His new album is called Press Enter, and it's fabulous. I just uh, man, I. I love listening to you. Your uh, your records are some of those that I actually listen to uh, multiple times. And you know, given the number of records that I get in the course of a year, uh, that is my idea of a compliment. So uh, I really, thank you, I really Jason. wish you all the best. And thanks and th so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, oh, my pleasure, brother. And uh, thank you so much for your time. I'm so glad you were able to come back and uh, wish you all the best in the future. Same to you, Jason. Thank you. Music by Roman Collin from his album Press Enter on ACT Music. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. Find them online at respectsextet.com. Thanks to Dave Rabel for the show's logo. Please consider supporting The Jazz Session with your membership. To learn more and to become a member, visit thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks.
The Jazz Session will be back in two weeks with another episode. In the meantime, support live music wherever and whenever you can. Then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.